0: It's not every day that you get to speak with an NFL chaplain. I, you know, I wonder if people even realize that that exists.
1: A small population of people do.
0: Okay. I just mean like as a football fan, I don't know if you necessarily realize that that's a position within a team.
1: And it's actually a a pretty important one. Yeah. I I know a couple, I'm friends with a couple other people who are, are chaplains within athletics and it's a, it's a pivotal position, you know? Yeah. Because you're you're bringing people who do have, you know, different belief systems and different things, and you know you're you're tapping into that to a degree in in moments throughout seasons and games and conversations, and you know, as our guest in episode 49 here, Reza was saying, you know, these athletes, these high performance individuals, you know, there's so much more than their performance. Mm -hmm. So to be to be in a role where you you do get to keep someone grounded on that truth in the shaky nature of performance-based spaces is a, is a super pivotal role. Yep. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I, I just think that it, we didn't have a lot of time with Reza, but I think that he, if we had been able to, we could have uh, dove in a little bit further into his upbringing, which I personally find very fascinating because yeah. his parents, immigrated to the United States when he was three from Iran. And he talked about how at that point in time, he was just learning how to speak, but his mom didn't speak English. And so they were at home watching Sesame street. And that's literally how he started to learn English as well as his mom. And I just thought that that was like just a really sweet story. And I would have liked to dive in more, but in any case, um, Reza has some really, really profound things to say, uh, just about performance and just life in general. And so we really hope that you enjoy this short mm-hmm. but mighty episode Let's with go. Reza.
1: And as always, guys,
0: make a difference.
1: Yeah. You can do it. It is it is so needed right now. Do not discount you, don't count yourself out. Just by opening a door for someone, going into a coffee shop. Saying yeah, hello. you
0: literally never know how you could change somebody's day with a smile. Like mm. literally just a smile.
1: Yeah. Well that's it. Go out. We appreciate your time listening to us rocking with us over these 49 episodes. Let's go. Take care, guys. Good afternoon, everyone. Darius here, one half of the team with the Mad Podcast, the Make a Difference Podcast, and this is episode 49 with Reza Zadeh, not kind of like Zonite, but Zadeh, as he <laughs> clarified for us <clears throat> behind the scenes here. Reza is a husband, a father. He's an active NFL chaplain, teacher, leader, um, man active in the community here of Northern Colorado who uh, is living his life uh, in service to others. Reza, welcome to the Make a Difference podcast.
2: Hey, thanks so much, Darius. Thanks, thanks to you and Farah for having me and uh, looking forward to being a part of
1: today's conversation. Well, the way we, we typically kick it off is we, we, we like to get a little bit of a backstory. So tell us and the listeners, how does one even end up being um, among all other things an NFL chaplain in the year 2021, uh, working with the Denver Broncos, so on and so forth? Yeah, How'd you get here. Uh,
2: no idea, honestly. Like, there's, there's like a, there wasn't an application I haven't filled out or anything like that. But um, quick story on myself, kind of I guess how I got here. I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Iran. Uh, my family and I moved to the United States when we were really young, when I was young, and so I've kind of grown up in the United States um, as a foreign kid and just trying to fit in. Had no idea, you know, what life was about and all that. And so I actually learned how to live American culture by watching TV, which isn't the most wasn't the most healthy way to learn how to be in high school. But um, you know, grew up in Southern California most of my life. Came out to Colorado. I played football at Colorado State University. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's kind of where I started getting engaged in my faith was through an organization that works with athletes, that mentors athletes, that influences athletes called Athletes in Action. And it's an international sports organization that works with athletes on a faith-based level all over the world. And so there was a staff member here at Colorado State who kind of befriended me, became a mentor in life for me. And so we kind of built a relationship and uh, we, I was engaged in team Bible studies and just kind of learning and uh, find myself that um, I wanted to coach. And I thought coaching was the way that I was going to make a difference in the life of, of students and student-athletes. That was it. I was going to be a football coach. So I actually was a graduate assistant for two years at Colorado State. And uh, that's kind of where I discovered that, I mean, I, I, I liked football. I liked coaching. But I actually liked the athletes and the college students much more than... Then I actually like the game of football. I, uh, you know, football just kind of got in the way of me building relationships with other people. So uh, I actually decided that I wasn't going to coach anymore, and uh, never planned it, never thought this is what I would do with my life. But actually, got involved in ministry, and a local church in town hired me to be their college pastor. And so, you know, served for about nine years as a college as a college leader again, doing what people did for me, influencing, mentoring, coming alongside. College students and uh, loved watching them come in as freshmen, kind of work with them for a few years, and watch them graduate, go on, start their lives, get careers, start families. Like I love, I love watching that transformation happen and having a small part to play in it. So did that for a number number of years. My wife and I we started a church in a neighboring town called Windsor, but then we just sensed that hey, we we really like this, but we felt very confined. Uh, working in a building. And so we decided to join this organization called Athletes in Action, where we get to do what we absolutely love. And that's come alongside one specific population of people, and that's athletes. And so did that for a number of years uh, here locally, overseeing ministry at uh, Colorado State, at CU, at University of Northern Colorado. And about five and a half years ago, I got a random call out of nowhere um, from uh, this guy who helps oversee all the NFL chaplains, and said, "Hey, Denver's actually looking for a, a chaplain. It's a volunteer role, and would you be interested? Your name's been brought up, and someone recommended me. and And I said, I I, I think so, and I don't know exactly what that meant, but um, met with the player development director there and decided. This would be kind of a cool way to surf and to come alongside these these athletes and and their wives, and so that's honestly how it how it happened. It was literally just uh, I, didn't, I don't even know. I sit back and I'm like, I don't know how I got to this place, but <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk obediently and do what I can to influence people and and mentor them the best I know how.
0: That's awesome. Did you mention what you had gone to school for? Did I miss? Did you say that? No, nope.
2: nope. I, I went to CSU. I studied um, health and exercise science with the sports okay. medicine concentration. Okay. And so I'm absolutely not using my degree.
0: <laughs> well, um, I mean, maybe not in the way that you thought you would be, but you're working with athletes. So
2: yeah, yeah. There's no reason I should have taken biochemistry for the yeah. work that I do now.
0: <laughs> Had to suffer through that.
2: <laughs> Microbiology. Yeah, I'm not using it. I'm definitely not using that class.
0: <laughs> Well that's awesome. That's a cool story. Um you w- what age were you when you moved to the United States?
2: I was 3. I was oh. 3. So I was super young.
0: Yeah, so you, this is all you know.
2: Basically this is all I know. Like okay. I didn't Yeah, but it was like for me my mom my mom didn't speak any English. I was just kind of learning how to speak Uh, My dad had uh, done his undergraduate and graduate work in the States as an exchange student. And then he went back and met my mom and had me. So I had to learn how to speak English watching Sesame Street. Me and my mom would like watch Sesame Street. That's how we learned English. But yeah, all I know is growing up here. But like my parents, all they know is growing is like raising a kid from Iran. So I lived in this kind of like weird place where I was like, I'd go home and I've got this really traditional Middle Eastern like culture. And then I'd go to school and it was like, okay, how do I, how in the world do I navigate this American culture?
0: Mm. I think oh, that that's,
2: how did I, oh bro, yeah. I, I stumbled my way through. I think Darius. I think one of the things that that, um, did for me is like, and, and, and I feel like it's something that's a benefit now is like, I feel like I can blend in in every in any situation. Like I have always, every time I walk into a room, I'm the only one. Like I am literally the only Iranian typically in a room, unless I go to like back home and there's like an Iranian party. But um, so I've just kind of learned to blend in. Um, I'd even say in some unhealthy ways, I've allowed my performance and what I do to overshadow like my insecurities. And so I could find myself putting all my stock and identity in what I do, and how i perform rather than who i am because yeah that's just kind of how i survived a lot of it was survival mode
0: mm. i think that this uh this story you just told us is probably more common than a lot of us think the story of a of a young 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 family coming from another place and not knowing and and speaking no english and just learning there's um this just reminded me not to get too off topic but there's a show on apple um called little america and it's so oh. fascinating. And it's these real stories, these true stories of immigrant families coming over and just as told by their children. And it just reminds me of some of those stories you hear. Anyway, I digress.
1: No, <laughs>
2: sorry. <all right>.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so <clears throat> tell us a little bit, if you can, um, without too many details. Yeah. Off the field, so to speak, just because when I NFL chaplain, I'm going to just on the field, but off the field, who who is Reza Zadeh? Uh, who are you yeah. off the field?
2: Oh, bro! I um, man, I am somebody that is trying to figure out how do I how do I love my wife the best? Um, how do I love my kids and help my kids grow to be who 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 they're intended to be, who they're created to be? Um, I could say like from the outside looking in, it looks like I've got like it all figured out, but on the inside, man, I am, I'm really trying to really discover not just who I am. Like, I feel like I've done some good, solid work on, Hey, this is my life purpose. This is my life mission. Just through some of the, the, the coaching stuff that I've done, that I'm certified. I walk people through life plans. Uh, But even beyond that, trying to uncover my story and to see like, like, what is in my past that causes me to have, you know, the insecurities that I do. And so by no means do I have life all figured out. Uh, but I'm striving to to and I and, and I've stopped trying to figure out life as much as I'm trying to navigate. Okay, this is this is the story of my past. This is the brokenness. This is what's happened to me. Um, how do I how do I watch it be redeemed and how do I use that for the benefit of in, in impacting and influencing other people? Like that's what I'm obsessed with is helping people see life clearly through the lens of eternity. Like that's what I want to see happen.
0: Where do you think that drive, that that obsession, that passion for that comes from?
2: I would say, man, I I had to fumble my way through life of like trying to like figure things out on my own, and 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 that's not that's not like a knock on my parents. Like my parents, I think they did the work that they knew how to do, but. I, I honestly, it was like trial and error for me. It's almost like I had to go through life without any instructions and I had to like figure out like, okay, I've got to do X, Y, and Z. And no one's going to tell me how to do it. No one's going to show me how to do it. I'm too embarrassed to ask my other friends because it seems like everyone else knows how to do it. And so I fumbled my way through life. So I think for me, like, I really want to come alongside other people Not to do like, not to make life easier because I I can't make anyone's life easier, but at least to be a cheerleader and a guide and someone that comes alongside of them and helps ask the right questions and help just encourage and, and, and just lead people to a, to a pathway to go to a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, almost like, almost like I don't, I I don't want to pull people along and tell them, Hey, this is where you need to go. But almost like digging the river ahead of them because the water is going to naturally Go and just helping them navigate those riverbanks so they can their life can go a direction that they sense it's supposed to go. Hmm. So I think I think a lot of it comes from just my background of having to kind of figure things out on my own. It's so lonely. I don't want people to be lonely.
1: I love that. That's that's good. Now you work with athletes. You work with just people in general, business Mm -hmm. leaders, business professionals. You know. Yeah. These are heavily performance result outcome driven arenas. Yes. But that said, what do you think, in your opinion, that people in these performance driven spaces miss uh, about the inner person that you see predominantly in your exposure to them?
2: Oh, bro. I would say whether it's a business person or if I'm sitting with an organization and leading their leadership team through a thought or principle or athlete it, there's something about our Western culture. This isn't an American thing. This is a Western thing. It's just uh just kind of the Western culture. It's so performance oriented. It's like, man, what I perform, what I do is actually my worth. And, you know, now people are all talking about what's my hustle. What's my side hustle, because it's not good enough just to have your job. You got to have your side hustle and then your side hustle, side hustle. It's like, you hear that word a lot. And, and I think one of the things that I see, one of one of the core areas that I see high performing people, leaders, business people, business women, businessmen, athletes, is they lose their identity and their identity becomes wrapped up in how well do I perform or, or, or not perform. And sometimes it's not even how well do I perform, it's do I perform to meet someone else's standard, which sometimes is an unrealistic standard, but like my worth is not just in how well I do, my worth is in... Um, how how well someone else thinks I've done, and that's that's the thing that I say. I see our identity being so wrapped up in our work, and that's the number one pitfall that I see for for leaders.
1: Is there how anything? You... Go ahead. What were you going to say, Farah? Go ahead.
0: I just wanted to know what your advice is to getting around that. Same. Mm. Oh, okay,
2: I, We were yeah, on the same page. <laughs> I, yeah, I hear you. I would say one of the things is 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 really remembering that like who you are apart from your work. It's almost like um, it's. It's. it's some, sometimes we feel like we're going to run as fast as we can, but we're running on a treadmill, and we're like sprinting and running and running and running and running. But we're, to be honest, we're not going anywhere. But we're spending all of our energy trying to perform. It's this performance treadmill. Um, I remember, and I tell this story a lot, but I remember like my first year as chaplain of the Broncos. We actually started the year really well. We were three and one, first place AFC West. Everything was awesome. We lost in Buffalo the week before we come back. We're playing the 0-4, an 0-4 team, the Giants. And we're playing on Sunday night football, tens of millions of people watching. And I remember like, okay, we're going to get on track. We're still in first place. We're playing an 0-4 team, Sunday night football. Everyone in America is watching. The game starts, uh, you know, the team runs onto the field in Mile High Stadium. People are cheering like crazy, 76,000 people going nuts, cheering when the team runs on the field the first and second quarter didn't go well and the team we find ourselves down i think it was like 24 to nothing or you know 31 to say it was it was a lot to a little and the giants were the Owen four giants were beating us and i remember when the team was running into the into the tunnel like people that were cheering them 90 minutes before literally 90 minutes before people were going crazy cheering them were like booing them and like booing deeply And in that year, we had our we had our team Bible study on Mondays. I would go down and I remember talking to the guys going, hey, do you guys catch that? Like 90 minutes before they were cheering you. But because you didn't meet their expectations, they started booing you. And so we cannot put our stock in the opinions of other people because the opinions of other people will go up and down and up and down. And I'll drive myself crazy trying to live for the expectations of others. And so I've got to be able to put myself in a place where I am crystal clear on this is my identity this is who i am these are my principles these are my core values and if i base my life on those things then it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because my life will stay constant so that's my greatest advice on not being performance oriented now now again i work with high level athletes who they've got to perform because if they don't perform they're out and there's another 22 year old fresh out of university of alabama that's ready to take their job so it's not like, oh, don't worry about your performance. It's no, no, work your tail off, but just don't think that your whole life and your identity is based on your work.
0: Mm-hmm. And people are allowed to have bad days, bad games. Totally. I mean, of course, we're all human, right? Not in the day of a- Twitter. <laughs> That's true. And I think with athletes sometimes, especially athletes at that level, that caliber, I think sometimes it's really easy for us, like normal people to expect so much of them because they're like these these elite athletes and then when they don't do it the way we wanted to it's so easy for us to be like oh so and so could have done it better and blah 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 and it's like were you out on that field no you were not (laughs) i
2: know that's the thing that and you know the other thing i and i didn't realize this until i got into this role um dude we're talking about like 24 and 25 and 26 and there's some that are like old like tom brady's gonna play till he's 50 but like for the most part like these are like 25 year olds yeah they're like i think of myself at 25 years old like i don't like i don't even know how to rent a car like you know and so that's something i think we 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 dehumanize athletes but i think we also dehumanize employees and we dehumanize leaders Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: that said (laughs) that said what would be a perspective you would lend to the the leader of today, the leader person who's leading a business, who's leading, who's leading, who the GM, you know, who's leading that that organization, mm-hmm. uh in terms of understanding the people that they work with. How do you help leaders maybe un- just understand their people better, or, or lend a perspective that they can think about?
2: Yeah, I think I think that there's definite there's a the. It's not about hey, forget about performance. Performance matters. Like let's not let's not pretend like we live in this place where it doesn't matter how hard you work or if you perform well. Or like performance still matters. But I think I talk to I, I like talking to leaders and talking about what does it look like to create an environment where people can live up to their potential and live and serve and work from an area of their strengths. Uh, rather than trying to conform everybody into this one little image. Now, now, if I need an admin, I need someone who's administratively minded. Like that's just flat. I just need that. I, I just absolutely have that. But if I, I, if I have somebody who's, who, who I might be interviewing for a role and they don't fit this role, then I think there's something valuable about saying, okay, I want the right people here with the right energy, with the right passion, with the, and, and we can find a role for them rather than trying to make people conform into a role that maybe they weren't created to fit into. Maybe it's just not, not, they're not just not designed to be in that role. That doesn't match their gift sets. And so I think there is something about, hey, there is a performance level, there's standards, there's metrics, we have to hit those. And at the same time, as a leader, I'm committed to come alongside of you or creating an environment in my organization where other people can come alongside of you so that you might be able to grow and discover what it is you're passionate about. Because and, and the danger of that is well, what if someone discovers they're not created to be in that organization and we might lose them? Well, that's true, but is that worse than never finding out what they're passionate for, but they actually stay in the organization and they actually bring the level of performance down because they're miserable in that place. And so I think there's this thing of, of leaders holding their teams lightly, and I think as you hold your team lightly um, there, the cream's going to rise to the top and you're actually going to find people that are more passionate um, because they want to be there and they're designed to be there.
1: Hmm. So being a parent, uh, how do you, how do you work with your kids through character? Yeah,
2: dude, that's a big one. Like, I just had a conversation just this morning, just this morning with my daughter's eight, my daughter's eight and she's playing soccer and she is struggling. Like she is really struggling um, playing sports and her two older siblings, they're really good. She's, to be honest, she's our best athlete, but she just doesn't, she just doesn't care. Like she honestly does not like sports, which is totally fine. But I think talking to her at, about like, hey, you know, there is something about you finish what you start. Cause right now she just wants to quit she just wants to not play. And I was like, well, well, sweetie, like we, we, we can't do that. Like we may not play after the season and that's completely okay, but we do got to finish out. Um, plus I paid a lot of money for it. So we got to finish out. <laughs> but I think, I think one of the things that I do is really try to talk to them. It, here's what I found. I have a 13 year old and 11 year old who are in middle school. I got to parent them differently than my eight year old that I can't like, I try to find teaching moments But like when my 13 year old daughter is in a place where she's like really frustrated, that's the worst place for me to find a teaching moment, whether it's a bad day at school, you know, some girls got together for a birthday party. She wasn't invited in. Like, like she doesn't need to hear from me, like what she should do in that moment. I think the greatest way that I've learned to teach character is just being empathetic and showing empathy when they need that empathy But then circling around and saying, and then asking permission, hey, remember that day I was driving home from school and you were pretty upset? Do you mind if I just share something with you about that day? And um, I have found that when you turn that into a question, uh, and and typically the kids are going to say, yeah, like, what do you, what do you think? Or they're just going to be curious. Um, They've invited me to speak into their life rather than me forcing myself upon them. Um, and I think that principle I learned, I learned that just, you know, I didn't come up with that. I learned that from somebody else. That's especially true in sports. That's especially, you know, when they have a bad game, it's not the number one reason kids quit sports. It's not because it's not fun and not because it's too hard. The number one reason kids quit sports. Um, the, the, um, the research has been done is the car ride home with their mom and dad. Like mm-hmm. that's the number one reason kids quit sports is because all the parents do is tell the kid what they did wrong, what they should have done better and what the coach did wrong, what the ref did wrong. And so it like, I got to bite my tongue after after games um, and just say the words, hey, it was fun to watch you play. I love watching you play. Good job. I noticed you did this. That was really good. And then follow up later and be like, hey, is there a chance I saw something that you may not have seen during that game? Do you mind if I share with that with you? And that it could be a day later or two days later. But again, I think having them ask or give permission gives me a, a, a greater opportunity to speak into their lives in these little character issues that I might, that I might see. Hmm. and my kids don't, my that's kids good. don't want it. My kids, my kids don't want, like, that's the other thing is like, dude, my kids do not want me to be their character coach. Like I want to be their character coach, but they really don't want me to talk to them. So I got to find creative ways to identify it. Or put them in an environment where they're being mentored by somebody else mm. um, that speaks into their lives.
0: Right, right. Okay, we're going to switch gears because we we know we have to wrap this up. So we're going to rapid fire some questions at you, and um, you don't have Dang to it. take a lot of time <laughs> to think about it. Just whatever comes to your mind first, or or whatever it may be. Um, I'm going to start. Great. My first question is two favorite
2: quotes of all time. Oh, two favorite quotes of all time. Holy cow. (laughs) Um, I would say, you know, obviously I'm in, I'm in the faith. I'm in the faith, um, industry, I guess you could say. So I would say one of the quotes is by a guy named A.W. Tozer. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I, I think that that says a whole lot about who we are. Um, that's number one. And, um, Goodness, I would say, I don't even know if this is a quote. This more of a principle. It's kind of what we talked about. Your performance doesn't equal your identity.
0: Love it.
1: Let's go. All right. Last book you read and finished. Dude, I read a book called Mindset.
2: I read it, slash listened to it, and I finished it. And so- <laughs> Is that, is that Carol Dwight? Yep. Yep, Carol okay. Dwight. And right now I'm listening to Shoe Dog. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, night, yeah. So- yeah.
1: Okay. Favorite place to take your wife out for a date.
2: Oh, well, this is cheating because she's got a favorite place for me to take her to a date. Then I've got a favorite place that I want to take her. (laughs) So I would say she wants to go to the melting pot. She loves the melting pot. Um, I like it, but I don't know why I have to pay more money when I got to cook the food myself. Um, But I would say, I'd say that I'd say the melting pot and then... um, yeah, going out for drinks afterwards in Old Town. Nice.
1: Okay. All right. Three, three leaders, dead or alive, that people should have on their radar. Hmm. Dang, dude, these are phenomenal questions. <laughs> three leaders that people should
2: have on their radar. Um,
1: they can be dead, too. They don't have to be alive, so...
2: Dude, I'm gonna go with the basic Churchill. Man, I loved his passion. I love how he led. Um, I'd say Churchill. uh, My son has gotten me completely um, enamored with with the musical Hamilton. My son loves it. My 11 year old son has got it memorized, and I like it. Man, I would say George Washington. I'm fascinated by the way all of that stuff went down. Um, So George Washington, Winston Churchill. And let me get a third one in there. Um, dang, I don't know. I'm nice. just gonna say Sonny Lubick just because he was my coach.
0: Love it. At CSU he and he's that's a, son, a great one. Leader. And he's a profound leader, like everybody in this whole state. And I would get I would go to even say region knows who he is. So yes. Totally. Um, okay, on the same topic, three. The three traits that you believe a quality leader needs to have top three uh, traits.
2: Number one, empathy, to be able to get in the well with people that are feeling things that that they're feeling. Um, empathy is number one. Number two, I would say a level of uh, being able to compartmentalize, being able to, to, to just, you know, put things in a container and compartmentalize their life compartmentalize their schedule so i'd say empathy compartmentalize and uh i would say without a doubt vision visionary being able to, to cast vision because without vision people perish people yeah. don't know where they're going great Ooh,
1: that's good okay what position did you play in football
2: i was a linebacker
1: at CS. Okay. okay top two linebackers not of all time not none of the goat stuff but your favorite two linebackers <laughs>
2: Oh, bro, my favorite two linebackers, Mike Singletary and uh, definitely Mike Singletary and Ken Norton Jr.
1: Okay. All right. Last but not least, one thing that you haven't done yet that scares you that you absolutely want to do before you leave this earth?
2: Bungee jump. Right. <laughs> bungee
0: jump. I got you knew right away.
2: <laughs> I, got, I got skydiving in. Um, I want to bungee jump over water. Maybe over some sharks, too. Ooh, just
0: to throw that in there. Yeah, let's make it as dangerous as possible. <laughs> hey, I'm only gonna do it once. So yeah. as well.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, last but not least, our friend, um, will you leave our audience? They 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 want to they run a wide range, business people, professional students. But if you had a platform, you know, yeah. State of the Union address, and you had one one minute or so to just speak to people in this country, maybe worldwide. Um, could you give us a little minute monologue just from the heart from residence Zadeh?
2: Yeah, I would say this, that, that I believe with all my heart, people have been created to uh, leave an imprint in the lives of other people. And I think we think a lot about legacy and unfortunately, I think what we think about legacy is actually an inheritance. Like an inheritance is what we leave to people. And I think we leave a lot to people. And that's great. But I want to live my life and I want others to live their life where they're not leaving things to people, but they're leaving things in people. And that's what legacy is. Legacy isn't leaving a business or a house or anything like legacy is what kind of imprint you leave on people's souls. And so, man, I would say I really would love for people to consider what kind of imprints are we leaving in the lives of other people through our interactions? And what does it look like for us to choose to leave an imprint? In the life of somebody that we're just passing by in the grocery store or just acknowledging when someone's going through a hard time and just saying, hey, I I see you. I don't have any answers for you, but I see you and I want to be with you. And so I think there is something to be said about pausing and looking around and just and also just using those little those little phrases, those little words of just coming alongside people. We all want to do these big things and make a big difference. But I think the greatest difference we can make is just doing what's in front of us. And, in, and just influencing the people that is literally living around us in our neighborhoods.
1: Ooh, that's good. Thank you for that. Well, episode 49, Reza Zadeh, father, husband, NFL chaplain, leader, teacher, servant. Um, thank you for being with us on the, on the make a difference podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today. You got it, my man.
2: Thank you so much for letting me be on this guys. It's been a ton of fun with you all.
1: Yes. And Mad Podcast family, as my co-host likes to say, go out and make a difference because you can do it.